Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KLA. Our guest for this 421st show is Dr. Meredith McCarroll, Director of Writing and Rhetoric at Bowdoin College. And we will be talking about Appalachian Reckoning, a region response to Hillbilly Elegy. Our history buffs for today are Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. And Ed, why don't you start us off? Thanks, Jay. Um, Meredith, in, in Elizabeth Katz's book, one of the things she talks about is um, how the region has ex- historically been exploited uh, for timber and particularly coal and how those entities uh, of outside ownership uh, provide so little support um, in terms of public resources available to the population. Um, my observation as a longtime resident of rural Iowa is that this was not rural Iowa 50 year or 60 years ago, but it is now. But can you talk about those things uh, in relation to Appalachia? Yeah, I can I can do my best. I think that Elizabeth Cat is really the I, I'm so glad that you mentioned her and that you've talked with her about this because in her book what you're getting wrong about Appalachia she does such a good job of going into the history and and frankly that's where I learned most of what I'll say here. But I've you know, I've studied the region long enough to understand that um it's a complicated thing that happened. It, it was both extractive industries that came in, timber, coal, and um, and you know took the built these these businesses that were thriving at some point, um, but created complicated relationships to the place between the communities that in which they existed and um, and then you know of course most of the money left the region and so. You know, in the boom times, that that's what was happening, and it it was it was okay. It was sustainable for a while, and so if you had a job in coal or in the timber industry, you were doing really well. But as the industries have left the region, this transition to another economic system is what has, one thing that has been so so devastating. Um, when you have outsiders come in and invest in a particular way and then leave, it's, you know, it's difficult to sustain that. What I think, and frankly, what I have paid most attention to as a literary and film scholar are the ways that Appalachia has been talked about and portrayed in, um, in order to justify the, the removal of people, the extraction of these resources and the the negative impact that it's had on the people there. Um, there's both been this romanticizing of the place as kind of otherworldly, um, like always caught in the past. Um, the the people of Appalachia were referred to as our contemporary ancestors, which is a, a turn of, you know, a phrase that I really appreciate um, in its complexity there. So there's this romanticizing um, that, that these are people like not quite in the world that everybody else is living in. And then there's also always been this um, taking the exoticism to a negative side, this showing this kind of monstrous, scary, 
um, sinful uh, perspective of Appalachian people. And, and combined, that's pretty much what you see in movies if you look at Appalachian people. And so it's given a, it's given a really simplified way to, um, to stand in for, for the complex people who live there. Not unlike the way that people of color have been portrayed simplistically in order to justify abuses. Um, throughout film and, and literary history. So the ways that the region has been um, portrayed and conceived of as, as this kind of mythical space, to me, is really tied to the um, what has happened economically to the region. Rick. Thank you. Uh, Meredith, I've had the uh, honor to have spent time in my previous occupation uh, in uh, Appalachia, uh, and uh, familiar with extractive industries because my company was involved in mining and timber, uh, and so mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed the area. I mean, it uh, it uh, is different. Like the Southwest is different, and the Upper Midwest is different. But I, I uh, did not read Vance's book, uh, but I I did read Cats, and I did read yours. So. Uh, actually morphing over to my question, was Vance's book nothing more than a, have a political objective uh, uh, other than he had apparently some emotional issues he had to deal with in writing, but was it in fact uh, directed to affect an election? Well, I can't answer that completely, but it certainly... um it certainly could seem that way. He is now talking about making a run for Senate. Um, he had lots of support from, um, as I mentioned, Peter Thiel, who he now works with. Um, he's the he's a principal at his venture capital firm. So you know, this is not this is he sort of positions himself with this all shucks perspective, like he's just this. This good old boy who who got lucky and went to Yale and didn't know which fork to use, and I think that he is doing that very intentionally. He is very calculated in what he is putting out in the world, and um, yeah, I think it was. I think that the book came out definitely to line up with the election. Um, it's hard for me to think that this was a weird coincidence and that at that moment in his life he decided to write his memoir um so yeah it's i i I don't know the answer to that question but it certainly um has raised a lot of eyebrows that it seems like more of a political move than anything else well you make sense right rick see if you can get jd on the show and oh yeah i'm pretty sure we could do that yeah um, (laughs) point counterpoint yes yes exactly um Let's go back to the concept of being Appalachian. I mean, I remember, if I recall, um, PBS did a documentary on the diversity of their life. And one area that everyone always throws into the same kettle, but is incredibly different, is music. I mean, when Mm -hmm. you listen to it, I mean, those as you're talking about up in the northern region, their sound, their composition, everything is very different than those down in, in, you know, the southern part. And, and I'm asking mm-hmm. again, why is it when you've got something that's so diversified, people still are throwing it under the same title? I mean, yes, you said it's yeah. it follows a mountain range, but the mountain range is right. 1,300 miles long. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, the classification of Appalachia has been has been interesting because you're right. Like, if you think about music, and that's a great example, the music that you're going to hear in, um, a, you know, in New York is going to be different than what you'll hear in Southwest Virginia. And that's about the, you know, obviously, that's about the people who have passed through, the people who have settled there. There's more of a, you know, a banjo influence in particular places, which is an African instrument. You know, I mean, it, it, I don't think you have to be a musicologist to to notice those things. And and obviously it's about the, at least in part, initially has to do with who settled where. I, what's curious to me is, is why we talk about the region as, as a, um, you know, how does this label even make sense? And, Earlier, you asked about, someone asked about the reaction to our book, uh, Appalachian Reckoning, and probably the, the biggest criticism we have gotten have been from, has been from people who are new to the region, new to thinking about the region, who want us to answer really simplistically, okay, so if Vance is wrong, what is Appalachia? And that's like, how would you answer that question? That's like, you wouldn't ask someone, tell me to describe black culture in America. How could you do that? That's that's a silly question to ask. That's not an informed question. If Christopher so, Columbus was wrong, please explain why. You know, it's like, dang. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think, I mean, there's an interesting history with the naming of the region that first had to do with people who were traveling through and and studying geology. Later, it was about culture. When the Appalachian Regional Commission was formed in 1967, it had to do with the war on poverty. And people kind of opted in or out county by county to have access to the funding from the Appalachian Regional Council. So the, the mapping of the region is, is something that's pretty fascinating to look at if you're if you're interested in that. But for whatever reason, we categorize the South, we categorize the Northeast, we categorize Appalachia, and we expect something to be held in common there. And I think that that falls apart in any of those places if you if you really look closely. Okay, um, Meredith, my question as you were talking about the the images of Appalachia the the image that came into my head was deliverance mm-hmm. um, and and so certainly did not paint a very uh, kind picture of uh, Appalachian life um, right. so my question is are there films and things like that that are that have come along in the last say five or ten years that do a much better job of painting Appalachia as it is rather than as either this idyllic place um, that everybody wants to go to or this place filled with these sort of degenerate horrible individuals or whatever Um, is anybody doing a better job of getting it right yeah, there, yes, and I, I will. I will say that what you know, deliverance is is important, if only because that is what most people bring to mind when they think about Appalachia, and I think most people haven't even seen the movie or read the book yet. These images yeah. get stuck in people's heads. So if you have seen Deliverance, the two images that are going to come to mind are of this 
banjo boy who is mute and is the savant on the banjo. And he fits into the sort of idealized um, yet strange portrayal of Appalachia that I mentioned. And then the other image is of these monstrous mountaineers who end up being rapists. And what's really important to me to see is the ways that when you are uninformed and you're relying on a movie to understand a place, especially if you haven't even seen the movie, so it's just like an idea about the movie, what often happens is that these two images get conflated. And so poverty and simplicity gets conflated with monstrosity and, you know, these immoral, illegal, horrible actions. And that to me is kind of an important way to see what has happened to the region, that there's, um, there's this, this illogical conflation. So in terms of who's getting it right, I still think that many uh, narrative films that are set in the region are um, falling into the same traps of uh, relying on stereotype, where I think it is there's a lot of promise and a lot of great film is in documentary work. So uh, a film I would recommend to everyone is called Hillbilly. Um, this came out, uh, I think, in 2000. I think um, and it's from Ashley York and Sally Rubin and this is a documentary that took years to make and is um, a really complex uh, portrayal of the region and it is um, kind of tied to Ashley York's family and her her family's uh, allegiance to Trump uh, during leading up to the election and uh, follows them through the election so that's that's a film that I think pays really close attention and does a lot of things right. And I mentioned Apple Shop earlier. So many great documentaries come out of Apple Shop that really are, you know, that you're not necessarily going to come away with a clear understanding of the region. If you watch a movie and you think you get Appalachia, you, it's probably not the right movie because I don't think that you should be able to watch one thing or read one thing and think that you get um that you get a place like that. Um, But watching the collections that come out of Apple shop, I think give a complicated image of, of the place because it's told by people from there. So those are a couple of things that I would definitely recommend, but I'll say there are also other movies that like coal miners daughter, Nate Juan, these, these earlier films that I think, you know, are narrative films that, that get a lot right in part because of who's telling the story and the investment in the complexity of the region. We would like to thank our guests for the 421st show, Dr. Meredith McCarroll, Director of Writing and Rhetoric at Bowdoin College, who talked to us about the Appalachian Reckoning, a region responds hillbilly elegy. The History Buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM, and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, scroll down to find ROI shows. 
You can also find ROI on your local favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This is ROI recorded at Station KALA St. Ambrose University.